in fear of persecution, in fear of life itself. Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, one of the places that Pilgrim, that Christian comes to is called Delectable Mountains. We're on a mountain at this very moment. I remember, perhaps some of you remember too, familiar language that used to speak of maybe a communion Sunday especially as being on the Mount of Ordinances. Bunyan has the place called Delectable Mountains. Delectable, delightful, enjoyable. I joyed when to the house of God we began with. Go up, they said to me. Go up to the house of God. The pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, found themselves in their own fault, really, but they found themselves in Doubting Castle, having been taken captive by giant despair. And they were there locked in the dungeon of Doubting Castle from Wednesday morning to Saturday evening, we're told. And then on Saturday evening, Christian remembers that he has a key that's called promise. And that key opens all the doors and gates of Doubting Castle. And so they escape on Saturday evening. And giant despair, when he wakens up and realizes that they're about to flee, he goes to pursue them, but he finds himself powerless. And so the pilgrims escape from Doubting Castle, and they find themselves on a place, a high, on high ground that, Pilgr that Bunyan calls Delectable Mountains. And I think what Bunyan intends us to understand from that is that they've escaped from Doubting Castle on the Saturday night with a key called Promise, and the next place is Delectable Mountains. And I think he intends us to see Delectable Mountains as a Lord's Day experience, a Sunday experience. And then Bunyan describes Delectable Mountains. He says, there were gardens and orchards, the vineyards and fountains of water, where also they drank and washed themselves and did freely eat of the vineyards. It's a place of refreshing, a place of cleansing. <clears throat> and then he says, Now there were on the tops of the mountains shepherds feeding their flocks, and they stood by the highway side. And the pilgrims therefore went to them, and they asked, 
Christian asks, Whose delectable mountains are these, and whose be the sheep that feed upon them? And the shepherds respond, These mountains are Emmanuel's land, and they are within sight of his city. Emmanuel's land and within sight of his city. I think that's just an amazing picture of the place that we're at today. Emmanuel's land and within sight of his city. And the sheep also are his, and he laid down his life for them. And then Christian asks, is this the way to the celestial city? And the shepherds respond, you are just in your way. And then the shepherds say, welcome to the delectable mountains. The shepherds whose name were, and that's so interesting, the shepherds whose names were knowledge, experience, watchful, and sincere. The shepherds took them by the hand and led them to their tents and made them partake of what was ready at presence. And then the shepherds say, we would that you should stay here a while to be acquainted with us and yet more to solace yourselves with the good of these delectable mountains. And they told them they were content to stay. So they went to bed that night because it was very late. Delectable mountains, a Lord's Day church experience description. And like Peter, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Master, it is good for us to be here. Matthew uh, speaks of the location as the region of Caesarea Philippi. And as we people have tried to identify this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Caesarea Philippi lies at the foot of the Mount of Mount Horeb. And Matthew also speaks of a high mountain, and Mark speaks of a high mountain. Mount Horeb is 9,000 feet high, which is twice the height of Ben Nevis, and uh, almost three times the height of Cairngorm. So if it was Mount Hermon, which many believe it to be, that was a very high mountain. And the time reference here is eight days after these sayings. And the sayings uh, of verse 20, Who do you say I am, Jesus says. And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And then verse 27, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And Jesus takes them up on this high mountain so that they have a vision, a view of the kingdom of God. And that's why we come together for a view of the kingdom of God. And we get a special view of the kingdom of God when we 
are together and together around the Word of God. We are on the mountain. And the mountain of transfiguration was a mountain, first of all, of prayer. And then it was a mountain of presentation. And thirdly, it was a mountain of proclamation. And the Lord's Day experience of the church is exactly these three things. A mountain of prayer. About day, eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Prayer is where earth touches heaven and where that touch produces an amazing change. As he was praying, we're told, the appearance of his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white. Matthew says he was transfigured before them. His face shone with the brightness of the sun and his clothes like lightning. I don't know if you saw the lightning yesterday. We had quite a thunderstorm yesterday afternoon and the flash of lightning, you've, there's nothing brighter. Well, the sun, you can't look at the sun in all its brilliance and all its brightness. He was transfigured before them, Matthew says. As he prayed, there was a change, an outward change that came from within. He was praying, the mountain of prayer, the most delectable mountain on earth of prayer. Remember what Jesus said of the house of God, my house will be called a house of prayer. And you know there's something wonderful about joining in prayer in the house of God. Hearing and joining and you know, the names of the shepherds on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Mountain of Prayer, delectable mountain, rather, knowledge, experience, watchfulness, sincerity. Prayer shines and produces a shining. It is the creative power of God through prayer, that creative power that is in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You know, in prayer, 
we see Jesus and it lights a light from within. My late father used to speak of his uncle John, whom he admired as a Christian. When he was a young boy, he said John would be down, further down the croft and he would be herding the cattle in summertime. And he said, as young boys, we would want to go down and speak to him. But as we approached him, we would either hear him singing a Gaelic psalm or we would hear him praying. So we wouldn't want to go to disturb him because he was on the mountain. But then when he would come up the hill, when he would come up to come home, we would go to meet him, he said, and you would almost see his face shining. They look to him and shine with joy. You know, Moses knew something of that glory on the mountain. Second Corinthians 3, verse 18, he says, and the apostle speaking of that experience and of that glory, he says, and we all who with unveiled faces, remember Moses had to veil his face, contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Wearsby, in his commentary, he says, Prayer is one of the keys to a transformed life. And the mountain, or the house of prayer, is the place for that transformed life to be empowered. A mountain of prayer. Secondly, it was a mountain of presentation or a mountain of presence. Verse 30, behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure or his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Men appeared in glory or in glorious splendor in the splendor of glory. And here we have, and here there is a view of the world beyond. Personal, individual, standing, talking, men. Personal, individual, standing, talking. Persons separated by 600 years in time. Moses was 1,500 years before this time. Elijah, 900 years. And now they live together in eternity with a glorious future. You see, there is a future in eternity. A glorious future in eternity. And it's interesting that presentation of heaven on the mountain. There were Moses and Elijah. There were two men. And there was Jesus. And there was three disciples. Which we could say would be a presentation of earth. The three disciples. But the number I think is significant in terms of 
the authority of two or three witnesses and the authority of those who witnessed and who would share this experience. And so there's a presentation of persons, of men, and there's a conversation. And that tells us that the subject of heavenly conversation is salvation accomplished by sacrifice. The Lamb who was slain to receive all the glory. That's the subject of heavenly conversation. And that is the subject of the, confirm, of the, cons, of the conversation of the church, is it not? Heavenly, of salvation accomplished by sacrifice. Now, no one there were strangers to sacrifice and exodus. Moses, practically, with the Passover, sacrifice, the Passover lamb. But he would have discovered another dimension which would be fulfilled by Christ's death. And so that was Moses' conversation. Elijah, prophetically, you remember on Mount Carmel, the God who would show his acceptance of the sacrifice by fire was the true God. And again, Elijah, there would be another dimension in Elijah's understanding that would take his understanding to Christ's resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts 2 verse 3, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Prayer and presentation of persons in glorious splendor. And verse 32, they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. They were heavy with sleep. Well, it was a long climb. If it was Mount Horeb, it was 9,000 feet. Even the surrounding mountains were higher than our highest mountain. So it was a long climb. No doubt they were tired. But I think this tells us also something about the physical strength of Jesus. And we have to be careful that we, when we, the Bible tells us he was crucified in weakness, but he wasn't physically weak. And uh, there are occasions that demonstrate that in the Gospels. But the disciples, they were tired, they were weary, and they were heavy with sleep. It wasn't the first time that this happened, it's happened, remember, on the Garden of Gethsemane, too, where their physical strength failed. But there's also a higher ascent for men seeing the kingdom of God, what was above the heavens. 
And Peter must feel now that as he wakens up, he's about to miss this amazing experience. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He must feel he's about to miss this amazing experience. Good for us to be here. This is a delectable mountain for us. And we want to stay here, and we want everyone to stay here. But we're told that he didn't know what he said. You know, that's often true of us, isn't it? Sometimes we just don't know what we say, but he's not faulted. There's no fault here attributed to Peter, just simply that he didn't know what he was saying. This experience was too much, too great, but it was also an experience that he didn't want to end because it was a mountain of presence, a mountain of presentation of the kingdom of God. And wherever that is the experience, we don't want it to end. Because that's the experience of eternity that will never end. So there's a mountain of prayer. It's a mountain of presentation or presence. And finally, it's a mountain of proclamation. Peter didn't know what he was saying, but God knew what he was saying. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The glory cloud surrounds them. The crowd the cloud of the presence of God, and they're afraid because they're entering the near presence of God. And then there comes the voice of revelation and confirmation. You remember, uh, <clears throat> it's a week before that, uh, 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 that Jesus had asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And that was as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, the crowds can't make up their mind, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets of old. And he said to them, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And so on this mountain comes the voice of revelation and confirmation. You are the Christ of God. And the proclamation was for the confirmation of that pronouncement. Again, a mountain experience of confirmation. You know, I think a great prayer with which to come to church 
is the words of Psalm 119, verse 38. Confirm to me thy gracious word, which I did gladly hear, even to thy servant, Lord, who is devoted to thy fear. So we come to church and we ask, confirm to me the word of your grace. I hear it gladly and will hear it gladly over and over again, so confirm to me. David Gooding, in his commentary, he says, With the coming of the voice, Jesus was found alone. The lawgiver and the prophet had gone. For all their eminence, they were but men. Their, rule, their role in history had been preparatory to the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ. Now that he had come, they retired. The actual redemption of the world would depend on Christ and on Christ alone. And so we sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Confirmed by proclamation before witnesses, but not yet for sharing. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in these days anything of what they had seen. It wasn't the time to share it. Matthew says in, in chapter 17, verse 9, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And Mark puts it this way in chapter 9, verse 9, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And then he says, They kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant. What a good discussion to have coming down from the mountain, the discussion of rising from the dead, of resurrection. But they would soon know, and from the mountain of commission that God willing we look at this evening, they would go and tell the world, which by God's grace has now included us. Lord, we bless you for the completely reliable message of Scripture to which we do well to pay attention. We thank you that it is a light shining in a dark place, but 